Okay, now it's my turn. Thank you, Mike, for that. I love you dearly, and I'm sorry, sorry I forgot. Just so excited. As we mentioned earlier, we're going to be in John chapter 19 today. And today is really kind of an interesting day in, in, in kind of the life of the American church and, and really the American church goer. And, and you, might, you might ask yourself, well, why is that? Like, this seems fairly normal day. Um, it's so good to see so many people here today and, and joining us when we know that there's many festivities and things that are going to be going on today. But I, the reason is this. It's because on one hand, we are Americans and we are proud to be Americans. And today is a day that we celebrate our independence and our birth as a nation. And we have every reason to enjoy today and to celebrate today and to make much of today because the story and the history of this great nation is something worth celebrating. Many of you came today expecting that to be a part of the service and rightfully so. And it has been a part of the service. You have come to hear patriotic songs, to hear patriotic specials, to see some sort of recognition about what kind of day today is. We plan to celebrate this great nation that allows us to worship freely. There's a reason we want to celebrate today, because we are here and this church exists because we live in a nation that, that has historically honored God and cherished our freedom of religion and our ability to worship freely. We give thanks for this. We are thankful that we live in a nation that has set us free and also keeps us free by the sacrifice of so many. But on the other hand, we are gathered here today on the Lord's day. This is his day. And we celebrate on the Lord's day on the Sunday because today was the day that our Savior Jesus Christ resurrected. We come here to worship Jesus, and that is the focus of why we gather. One could easily make the argument that today should be no different than any other day in church, for we should worship God every day that we gather together and praise him for the goodness that he has done for us. Christ never called us to celebrate the nation nor the government where we live. In fact, that concept would have been very foreign and not, if not strange to the early church. They would have had no concept of a patriotic service or patriotic music being sung within the church walls. Even today, most churches around the globe would have no concept or understanding of a patriotic service to celebrate their country. It does raise a question. What relationship should the church have with the nation where it's located? And what warning signs should we as the church notice that may indicate that our church's relationship with the nation may be going too far? And so today I want to answer the latter of those two questions. I want us to look at scripture and on a day that we celebrate, on a holiday that we celebrate our independence as a nation, I want us to take just a moment and say, how do we celebrate our country while also how do we maintain proper relationship with God and with the world around us? To do so, I want to go uh, to John chapter 19, and this is really fitting that we go here because this is where we are in the gospel of Mark also. 
If you'll remember last week as we were getting into the word that we were studying about Barabbas and the, the exchange that happened between Pilate and, and the Jews with Barabbas and Jesus. And we are dropping ourselves right back into that exact same scene. Right into that exact moment where Pilate is, is, is judging and the Jews and the leadership are, are crying out crucify. And so we're going to be right where we left off. But we're getting this from John's perspective as opposed to the testimonies that John Mark had gathered. So turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to read verses 12 through 16 to get a feel for what the Jews are doing and, and why this is relevant to us today. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, him being Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. For everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus at and out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. And it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he handed him over to them to be crucified. Please be seated. In this passage, we see the Jews and, and particularly the chief priests at the very end do something that should have been shocking to the crowd and to the people. It certainly was a surprise to Pilate. And for those who, who are of Jewish descent and those in the early church, they should have been astounded. See, they did something that you could not imagine at that time. And if you'd have said they were going to do it to them a year later, they probably would have had you killed. See, what happened was, is they, the, the Jews and the ruling party of the Jewish nation sided with the occupying nation who had taken them over. They had put their lot in with the Romans in order to see Christ crucified. As we look at our passage today, I want us to notice really in, within the three things that the, the Jewish crowd and the chief priests say, how they are begun to compromise their faith and their convictions in order to get what they wanted from the nation. And I want to do that to serve as a warning to us as the church today to be careful who we cast our lot with. Because while we live in the United States of America and we are going to celebrate that today and that is a good thing, we are still the church. And we serve our king, not a political party or a president or a government. And so let's get into our text today and, and let's begin to look at how the words of the Jews at this point and in this place begin to reveal the compromises that they are making. The first thing that they say is found in verse 12. When they say, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. For everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. 
Now, the Jews are doing something very interesting here, and in order to understand that, we actually have to go back just a few verses. Look up in your Bible just a little bit and look at verse 7. Verse 7 reads this. It says, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. So what had happened was the Jews had started their accusation of Jesus by telling Pilate the real reason why they wanted him killed. See, they had a problem with Jesus because Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah. But not only the Messiah, but the Son of God. And and we had seen this in the trial that had taken place in in Mark when we were looking at Mark 14 and 15. And and what has happened is, is he has told them, I am the Christ. I am the son of David. I am the son of man. I am God's son who has come to deliver his people. And to them, that was unacceptable. They viewed that as heresy, even though it was true that God was before them in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they wanted to kill him. Now, up till about a few years prior to this, if this would have happened, the Jewish people would have been able to execute him on their own. And the traditional form of execution among the Jews was stoning. And so even just a few years ago, they would have been allowed to just drag him out in the street and stone him to death and it would have been done. But political turmoil and changes had led to a decree that said no capital punishment could be administered except by Rome itself. Which is why Jesus was crucified and not stoned. Now this was all to fulfill prophecy. But because of this, the Jews had to take Jesus to Pilate, to the Romans to say, we want him to die. And they said, the reason why we want him to die is because he has broken our law. Now, he hadn't broken their law because he was exactly who he said he was. They just couldn't see it. And so when that happened, he took him and he said, listen, he may have broken your law and the rules of your commandments and your God, but what does that have to do with Rome? He's not our problem and you're just going to have to get over it. When they were honest about the real reason why they wanted him killed, they did not get the results they wanted. And so they said something else to get the results they wanted. And so they said these words, they said, they switched strategies and they took a more pragmatic approach. And in doing so, they told him that this man was challenging the rule of Caesar. The Jews knew that anyone who claimed to be a king over any kind of people within the Roman nation would have been considered a challenge to Caesar's rule. Therefore, the argument they made that Jesus deserved death was because he was opposing Caesar, not because he had claimed to be the Messiah. Now, they already knew that Pilate did not see Jesus as a threat to Rome, nor that he was, tr- that he was trying to establish any sort of kingdom on earth. He'd already talked about this in, in the weeks prior. He had no army. His following was a bunch of, of backwoods fishermen from the nation way up north of him. He was not trying to organize anything. There was no political clout in his, in his work or in his will. And, and Pilate saw him as no threat. But they also knew that Pilate could not allow 
for a word to get around and ultimately maybe make it all the way to Caesar's ears that Pilate had in some way been soft on someone who had outspokenly opposed Caesar's rule. See, Pilate knew that if he had let him go when he had been declared an outspoken uh, you know, part of the opposition for Roman rule, then it would make him, that would be the end to both his political career and possibly his life. Because if Caesar could not trust him to squash rebellions, no matter how big or no matter how small, then he would be removed from his office, shamed, and probably live the rest of his days in obscurity, if not killed himself. See, the Jews turned to manipulation in order to gain their desired outcome. They sought pragmatism over truth and honesty. You may ask the question, what does this have to do with the church today? And the reality is, is we also need to be careful not to play political games in order to get what we want. We need to be careful what our relationship is with politics and political parties. We need to to be wary of what this thing called pragmatism, the idea that the ends can justify the means. We, as followers of Christ, cannot compromise our morals, our faithfulness, or our witness in order to gain some sort of win or victory in the political realm. The Jews, particularly the leadership, were willing to lie and manipulate the situation in order to gain the desired outcome. But the church cannot compromise her identity no matter what the cost. We need to think about that. We need to think about that when we deal with people that disagree with that. We need to think about the words that we use when we talk to people who may not be Christians and therefore see the world differently from us. We need to be careful about what we post on social media, what we bumper sticker to our car and the flags that we wave in front of our houses. We need to remember that we represent Christ first and foremost, and we should let nothing else that we do compromise our witness to Christ so that we can see something else take place. Peter said this in a roundabout way when when he was speaking to the persecuted church in his letter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, he says this, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. See, Peter knew that the church was living in a period in a time of hostility. And that hostility sometimes came from Rome and the Roman government and the Roman leaders. But sometimes it came from the Jews and those who had rejected Christ and did not like them. And he said, regardless of whether it is the leadership of the government or the rabble around you, keep your behavior excellent. It is not just what you want to achieve, but how you get there. And what we do and how we do it and what we say and how we say it matter to God. And therefore, we are to keep our behavior excellent in every area of our life so that someone who does not know Christ may come to know Christ by seeing our authentic walk. 
The Jews did not care about that at this moment. All they cared about was seeing Christ crucified. We cannot slip into that same routine. There are things that that I know that we as Christians, that, that we should support and that we should want to see. We should want to see the end of abortion. Amen? We should want to see that that no other child is killed because they are deemed unwanted. We should want to see marriage, and and marriage meaning that between one man and one woman to be lifted up and, and regarded as right and true and holy and sanctified. Amen? We should want these things, but it's not just about getting these things, but how we get these things. And if we alienate and insult and persecute and abuse and mistreat and say things that ruin our witness to get to those things, we have lost. No matter what we may have gained. Tell them, you'll call them back. The second thing that they say is found in the first part of verse 15. And in the first part of verse 15, when Pilate has finally brought them out to the crowd and they've said that, hey, if you let this guy go, then you're no friend of Caesar. And they basically threaten his political career. Then he brings him out and he says, "Okay, fine, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And so he gets his chair and he gets and he goes up to the pavement. He goes up to the, the platform, the stage, if you will, that he kind of holds court and he brings Jesus out and, and, and he puts Jesus in front of them. And I want you to understand something about Jesus in this moment. Jesus does not look good. See, Jesus has already been flogged. And that was kind of Pilate's hope is that he could just hurt Jesus and, and kind of maybe humiliate Jesus. And then the people would say, well, that's fine. That's good enough. And so the Jesus that they present is a Jesus that has been whipped. He is bleeding all over the place. This is a Jesus who has had a crown of thorns twisted out of thorns and then shoved down onto his head. So as he's before them, the blood is probably starting to dry and it's all over his face. This is a Jesus who has been punched in the face repeatedly by the Roman soldiers. So he's bruised and battered. Maybe even his eyes are are blackened and beginning to swell at this point. He was a Jesus that was mocked. And made fun of by putting a purple robe on him and, 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 and ridiculed and, and demeaned beyond reason. By this point, the purple robe may have even been torn off of him to open up his wounds yet again. And blood would have been pouring out of lashes and cuts all over his body. See, Pilate wanted the people to look at Jesus. He had been beaten and shamed And while it may be unclear why Pilate did this, perhaps he just wanted to stir up compassion. Saying, okay, fine, let him go. That should take care of it. Or maybe he wanted to flex on the Jews to show what he could do to their king. But I don't think he got the response he intended. As he brought Jesus before them and as he kind of showed him off and flexed his muscles on what he was capable of, the people's response is really noteworthy. Because when they looked at Jesus, when they cast their eyes upon them, their response was away with him. Get him out of here. I don't want to see him ever again. If he disappeared, my life would be better. The Jews wanted Jesus gone. Gone off the judgment platform, gone from their lives, gone from their sight, gone forever. 
Now, what's interesting about this is this is such a far cry from what happened just a few days before. Because just a few days before, Jesus was riding into town on a, on a donkey. And as, every, as he was going down, people were throwing down palm leaves in their coats and, and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Just a few weeks or months or years prior to that, he was feeding 5,000 and he was walking on water and he was raising the dead. And know what? I don't, where he went, the people gathered around him. Pressed up upon him, he had to preach from boats in order to get enough space between them. People pressed up against him, they were tearing off roofs to get people to him. There was a point in time where everybody in all of Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in all of Galilee, that wanted nothing more but to see Jesus. And yet today they said, get him out of our sight. I think we do this sometimes too. We want Jesus when we need encouragement. We want Jesus when we need some good vibes. We want Jesus when we need a wise word. We want Jesus when he can quiet our soul and still our heart and make us feel good. But we also tend to want Jesus out of our sight when he is a hindrance to our lusts and our desires. We don't want Jesus when we're clicking onto that website that we have no business being on. We don't want Jesus when we darken the doors of the liquor barn. We don't want Jesus when we are giving ourselves in to the things that we know are sinful and wrong. See, we want Jesus out of our sight when Jesus makes us feel guilty or calls us to even give up good desires for the sake of his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we cannot just put Jesus into our little church box. That we pull him out when we want him or when we need him and we pack him away when we don't and we would just assume he not be aware of what we're doing. We may look at the Jews in this moment and think, what horrible, horrible people. But sometimes when God is brought into the conversation at a time where we do not want it, we would be guilty of shouting the same thing. Don't bring Jesus into the conversation. Because I'd rather be right than holy. Paul, in his letter to the churches of Galatia, spoke to this desire when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, who, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Our whole life must be lived in light of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Not just our church life, not just our camp life, not just our Sunday school life or our little churchy friend group life, our whole life must be lived for Christ. And in light of what the sacrifice he's made on our behalf. This leads us to the last words that were uttered by the chief priests. 
These are probably the most shocking of all of them and really speak to the full handing over of their convictions. In the last moments when Pilate finally says, and maybe one last effort to either stir up the people or, or silence them, he, he says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. I, I can't even wrap my mind around this. Now, to a Roman, this was a beautiful moment. What bravery, what loyalty, what patriotism by the Jewish leadership to their Roman Empire. And yet, throughout the Gospels, we read over and over again how the Jews were hoping for the Messiah, the Davidic king who would come and rule the nation of Israel. They wanted a Messiah who was a king like David, a warrior who would run Rome out of all of their lands and set up a rule and bring them into an age of prosperity. We can go all the way back to the, the birth stories of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 38, we meet this prophetess named Anna who is waiting for God to show up. And it says this in Luke 2, 38. And at that very moment, she came in and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him. This is the baby Jesus to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That was the coming of the Messiah. And so this woman, this prophetess named Anna, when she left the temple, she spent the rest of her days telling all of these people, which had to be a significant number, that the Messiah is here, that the Messiah is coming, and, and that there, our new king has arrived. There were people longing to see this new king that would lead them and put them in a place of prosperity to experience the fullness of the promises of God. And in this very moment, their leadership said, we have no king! Caesar's our king. Can you imagine? In this moment, they had completely abandoned their convictions and their faith and their hope in order to achieve some short-term, finite, worldly goal. They outright denied the clear doctrines of their faith in order to see one man killed. Clearly, they would have said anything to get what they wanted. This should serve as a warning to the church today, and not just the American church, but every church. We cannot compromise and sacrifice our convictions in order to achieve some sort of short-term political gain or some sort of privilege within our country. We have already seen it happen, let's be honest. And it seems like every year we hear about more and more denominations inside of American evangelicalism and American mainstream churches that will completely jettison the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God in order to stay in good standing with both the government and popular culture. And brothers and sisters, we cannot do that. 
And we cannot align ourselves with a political party. We cannot hold ourselves to this idea of Americanism or Westernism if it means that we have to give up on what the Bible clearly teaches and what we are called to believe. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We cannot hand over our faith to reach some sort of goal that will not matter on the other side of eternity. Not only this, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, that whoever denies me before people I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Christ must come first. Christ must be in everything and the, 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 the thing that moves us in everything. And when all we do and all the ways that we can love our country and love our neighbor and all that we are should come from our love for Christ. And when we begin to deny who Christ is in order to gain favor with something else for someone and for something else, then we are putting ourselves in a most dangerous situation. Today, we celebrate the birth of our nation. And brothers and sisters, you should celebrate the birth of our nation. You should eat cupcakes with little flags on them. You should have deviled eggs and hamburgers and hot dogs. You should shoot off fireworks until 10 o'clock because after 10 o'clock, stop it. It's annoying. You can record those fireworks on your phone. Just keep it to yourself. You don't need to post it on Facebook. No one wants to see it. You can enjoy every aspect of today, and you should. But let us remember that even though we get to celebrate this great nation today, our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, Joe Biden is our president, but Jesus Christ is our king. And make sure you know what order they come in. And make sure that you make your life about giving glory and honor to God in everything. Not only with the goals you set, but the ways you get there. And please, please, please do not compromise your walk with Christ in order to gain influence and power in a world that will not matter in eternity. Now, I don't know where you are today, and I'll be honest with you, I don't care how you vote. But there is something more to life than just this life, and that is, and that we know that is true through Jesus Christ. And what we believe at this church, first and foremost, of greatest importance is that everyone in this room is a sinner who has gone their own way, who has set priorities that were contrary to God's ways, that have tried to reach those priorities in ways that do not glorify God. And because of that, every single one of us in this room have fallen short of the glory of God. But as we've talked about throughout our message today, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God, 
that he lived a perfect life to die on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I would plead with you today, if you have never made the decision to follow Christ and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, make today the day. Make today for you more than Independence Day, but the day that you were set free from sin and the grave and made alive in Christ. See, July 4th can be more than Independence Day for you. It can be Resurrection Day. Where we give our lives to Christ, we pass from death into life through Christ and his resurrection. If you would like to do that today, as we sing our last song, we would invite you to come forward. We would like to share with you just a little bit more about what it means to make Christ your Lord and Savior. If there have been decisions that have happened because of camps or, or because of um, things that are going on in your life and you would like prayer and you would like to talk to them, whatever God is leading you to today, we invite you to respond so that we have much more to celebrate today. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, this is a, a tough and challenging topic, but God, we know that you are good. And God, we know that you have called us to live for more than just this world. In fact, you have made a way so that we could live for more than just this world. And God, we know that you have sent your one and only son and that he has given us independence. He has given us freedom far greater than even what we can understand in this world. And so, God, we come before you now. And God, if there are people in this room that just need to confess the, their sin to you, that they realize they have, they have said they were living to you, but, but really they were living for their own wants and desires. They were living for their own clout and power. They were living for their own benefit. And God, they need to hand that over to you. God, I pray that now is the time that they do that. God, if there are people here today that need to, to focus in on their walk with you, maybe that's through baptism, maybe that's through church membership. Maybe that's just, just rededicating and realigning their hearts with you so that they will walk with you in this life. God, we pray they will do that. God, I believe with every fiber of my being that there are people in this room today that need to surrender their lives to Christ. That even though they will go and celebrate Independence Day, they are still enslaved to their sin. And God, I pray that your spirit would go forth. Lord, that they would be convicted and God, that they would be set free as they cry out for saving, for your salvation through Christ alone. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number 238, and beneath the cross.